Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm your host, Sharon Betters, and our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope, especially to those who are hurting, especially to those who might feel completely isolated and alone on a pathway they never thought that they would travel. Well, today we're going to talk to a woman who knows exactly what that feels like. Our guest, Lisa Apollo, understands deeply what it is to end up on a pathway that she had never signed up for. What do you do when you're suddenly navigating such a life? Well, Lisa has experienced those raw emotions and uncertainty that come when everything falls apart because one night Lisa went to bed married and she woke up a widow and single mom to seven young children. As you can imagine, she wrestled with impossible questions about her future. But that is not the end of the story. Lisa found life-changing answers that gave her the strength to move forward with true joy. She not only shares her story in her book, but God is redeeming her pain through all the resources that she is producing and offering on her website. Her book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It Falls Apart, shares her story and I know our conversation is going to leave you wanting more. We'll share her contact information at the end of our conversation, as well as on our website at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Lisa, I am so glad that we can have this conversation. Welcome. Hi, Sharon. So I'm a single mom of seven, longtime homeschoolers. That, that's a large part of my life and my days. I've launched five of my kids who are married, and I actually have a couple grandchildren now, and then I have two more at home that I am still actively homeschooling. Thank you so much for, in the middle of all of that, writing your book, Life Can Be Good Again, and it is such a privilege to have you today to share your story, and we are hoping that as we talk that the Lord will use our conversation to help turn hearts toward Him, because you have been through some very life-transforming trauma. Tell us about your husband, Dan, and tell us what happened. Well, we Dan was my high school sweetheart. He was actually the only guy I'd ever dated. I mean, I was 15, just about to turn 16 when, when we had our first date and we had been good friends. So we knew it would work. Life had taken some twists and turns. We had seven children, which we never, ever expected. But we were in a good place. He was in a good job that he really enjoyed. I was content. You know, I had left my work as an attorney several years earlier, and I was very content staying home, thought I would always be doing that. And uh, on a very ordinary Thursday night, I went to bed. We'd had pizza as a family, went to bed and said, good night, hen. And he said, good night. I'm going to do this for my mom, and I'll be in there in just a few minutes. And the next thing I know, I woke up in the early morning hours, dark or hours of Friday morning to his funny breathing. Mm-hmm. And so kind of still in my sleep, reached over, nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. Fully expecting him to turn over, go back to sleep. And we'd wake up, you know, when his work alarm went off. But as I woke up more to his breathing, I realized that this was a whole different nightmare. And I could see that something was very, very wrong. We immediately started CPR. The, the paramedics are really right outside our neighborhood. They were there within minutes. 
they rushed him to the ER and I thought he is going to be so mad when he wakes up and realizes he has to miss work today. And the ER doctor took me into that room you never want to go in and said, we've tried for two hours and we've never been able to resuscitate him. And so I slipped off his wedding band and um, turned to go home to tell my seven kids that their dad was in heaven. Mm. And in that moment, oh, you know, you can just imagine just, it wasn't so much the numb as the shock for me. And it just felt like, I think in that moment, I knew more about what marriage really was and what God does in marriage than I'd ever known because it felt like somebody had taken one of those rags. My mom used to make rags. She would take old sheets and she'd snip a little edge and then she'd rip it and it would just have dangling threads. And that's what I felt that that I had just been ripped into and I was just raw and, and just hurting. Wow. And your children were how old and how old were you? So I was 46 and my children were four, six, 12, 14, 16, 17, and 19. So our oldest had just finished his first year of college. And we thought, okay, we've got this down. We just have to do it six more times. What was the hardest part about raising your children by yourself? Because that's, I mean, from a four-year-old to a college kid, so many different levels of parenting. And now you're by yourself. What was the hardest part? What, maybe just one or two hard, hard places. The walking them through grief was very hard because as a mom, we want to fix it. We want to make, we want to give them the childhood that we planned for them and dreamed for them. And we can't, that, that childhood, that picture of their childhood is gone. And, you know, for my 19 year old, he had it for my four year old. She would never have it. So trying to learn, you know, on the fly, because we had no, he was otherwise healthy, you know, we thought and having to learn how to navigate their separate grief journeys and be there emotionally and physically for them. Yeah. The physical over and the decision overwhelm. I think if you had to say one thing for the single mom, it would just be the overwhelm because she is making hundreds and hundreds of decisions by herself. She is, you know, manning the lawn and the broken, you know, faucet and the parenting decisions, the financial decisions. There's just so much weighing on her. And I, I really found that I was carrying kind of this chronic low level stress. What did you do with that stress? How did you handle that? Was, was there a way to handle it or was it just going to be a, a part of who you are for many, many years or for the rest of your life? What do you think? Well, I don't even think I realized I was carrying it because, you know, I would go to God. I was in the word. I prayed regularly. I thought that I was giving him all of my burdens. I mean, I spoke to God after my husband died. I it became like a constant conversation, you know, and I would hear him so clearly and I would speak to him throughout my day. But I had was researching for some writing and I read that single moms have a shorter lifespan because of the stress they carry. And I thought, I don't want that to be me. And I realized that that, that I was carrying that stress. And so I think it's just for me, it's a, con- I mean, I'm still a single mom. So I think for me, even though I've gotten used to the pace and used to this rhythm of, of being a single mom. It's a constant awareness and a constant saying, this is not my load to carry and giving it to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think God intends us to carry that. So I don't think we just have to say, well, this is it. This is the rest of my life. I like your word constant. It's constant. 
over and over and over again. And you mentioned that you were constantly in the word, you're constantly praying. I understand when you talk about that because our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a fatal car accident. And that overwhelming, that that's a good word too, overwhelming. The emotion is so exhausting, but I knew the only place that was not going to change was God's word. Because I think after you experience that kind of loss that you've experienced, it's what else is going to happen. But the one unchanging factor in my life was his word. And so I would go to his word every day and a journal and probably very similar to what you did. So tell us about that. How did you stay connected with the Lord? Yes. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Anybody who's walked through deep loss knows it doesn't matter if it's been five years or 15 years, it is a big loss, a forever loss until we get to eternity. I had always been, you know, a, I would say a fair weather Bible study girl. I was probably in the word more than I wasn't as I had, you know, matured, but I, you know, there were days that I didn't do it or that I would consider that my time, you know, teaching the kids, doing devotions with them was my Bible time. If I was in a Bible study, I was doing the homework. If I wasn't in a Bible study, I might not. But after Dan died, ooh, God's word became my sustenance. I mean, I needed it more than I needed food. And I would get, you know, I had these seven children and I thought, you know, I, they've lost one parent. They cannot lose another. And I knew I needed, there was a lot of work I had to do, a lot of heart work, and emotional work. And so I would kind of get them started in the morning and then I would get out to my minivan every day. I say, some people have a prayer closet. I have a minivan, <laughs> but that was the only place where I could be sure that it was quiet. I could turn my phone off and I could really just cry out to the Lord. And I did. I, you know, hard questions, hard emotions. Sometimes it was audible. Sometimes it was writing in my journal, like you said, just kind of a stream of consciousness stream of dumping all that was, you know, swirling in my head. But then after that, I would open the word and wherever I was reading, because I was reading through the Bible, I had picked up Dan's actually Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in a year. So this was June and I just started there and wherever I was, God would meet me on that page. And that scripture came alive. I was just so, so desperate for it. It wasn't for anybody else. It was just for me. And by the end of my time with God, he would have lifted my head enough to be able to go back into my home and teach my kids and parent them. But, you know, it wasn't enough for the whole week. There were times where I would just find myself just sinking in despair or really just in a very deep pit. And a lot of times I could trace it back and think, oh, this day got ahead of me and I didn't get my time in the word, or I've been out of it for three days because life is so busy. And so I really learned to guard that time and that that was where that, that exchange of me giving God my emotions and my questions and my fears, oof, all of that, and then picking up his word and getting being reminded of who he is and how he cares for us. Lisa unpacks all of this in her book, uh, Life Can Be Good Again. And that's one thing I was sharing with Lisa, a listener, that her book is just, it's its so meaty and has such depth to it. And we're going to talk about a few things there, but I'm hoping our conversation will be like salty peanuts, that you just won't be able to get enough from this conversation. You will want more and you will, you will go out and get her book and dig into it. And 
And I would tell you that you need to have a notebook next to you so you can take notes because there is so much there and not just for the death of a spouse, Lisa, that's one of the things that I really appreciated that there's so much there. I mean, even in my own life, I was struggling with something as I was reading and I thought, oh, this is, this is just from the Lord right here, just for me. So let's uh, talk about after Dan died, you're a church going family. How was it for you to go back to church by yourself uh, with your children? Our experience was good. And I know from ministering to enough people that that's not always the case, but we had an incredible incredible community, not just our own church, but the broader body of Christ and my family too. I know my kids, my teens and tweens, especially wanted to get right back in. They wanted to go. So Dan died Father's Day weekend, Friday of Father's Day weekend. And they wanted to go to church that Sunday. And I was like, you're kidding. But they, they, you know, I was nowhere near ready to see people or talk through anything but they wanted to go. And so we slipped in. I messaged one of the pastors and said, we're going to slip in late. And we came into, we went to a big church downtown and um, we slipped into the balcony kind of after the service had started and then slipped out before it was over. So we didn't have, so we could just kind of be by ourselves, but they were ready to jump back in. People came and sat with us on the pew. There's a good hard thing about having children when you're going through grief. And that is that they also are going through grief. I would have Dearly love for all of my children to have been grown and been able to grow up with their father. And yet their presence with me in the house, um, at night, in the pew was very comforting as we grieved together. But I, yeah, I learned it really was such a lesson for me as I watched people step out and do things for us. And nobody can do it all. That's just, and sometimes that paralyzes us because we think we can't fix it. We don't know what to do. And our little that we do is not enough. And it's not, but every small thing that God nudges each person to do in the body of Christ is like the hands and feet of Jesus. It is just like a personal love note. And that was that is a lesson I will prayerfully keep with me through till eternity. I love that your children were so interconnected with their church family, that that's where they felt safe, that that's where they knew that they were going to feel safe with those people, their, their covenant family. What a picture of grace. And I, I'm, uh, you're singing my song when it comes to biblical encouragement, because after Mark's death, I wrote a book called Treasures of Encouragement. And that's the, the deal there. It's, I mean, I feel like you read one of the chapters because you talk about how one person can't do it all. We are hands and feet and we, we, we can trust that when God nudges us that this is the one thing that he has called me to do. And that's the one thing that I am able to do. I know that after our loss of our son and his friend, like you, I thought, this is not the life I signed up for. There, there was, you talked about that numbness, that shock. It was the shock of, wait a minute, this does not happen to our family. How did the practice of gratitude help you to transition from that, that pit of, I hate my life, I don't want to be here in this life, to a place of contentment? You hit the nail on the head because I found myself sitting one night doing dishes after the kids had all gone up to bed thinking, I hate my life. And I almost couldn't believe I was saying it, but it was so true. I couldn't imagine that this was the rest of my life. And there's a lot of ways we can get to that point. It could be a spouse who's walked out 
or a diagnosis that you, that you didn't expect, a diagnosis for you or somebody in your family. It could be a dream that you've held for so long that has never come about. You've waited for God to answer that prayer. There's a lot of ways we can walk out a life that we didn't plan and that we would have chosen different. But gratitude became in, in the swirl of so much that we can't control. When, when the bottom drops out, when that diagnosis comes or that phone call comes or you know your loved one dies, there's so much we can't control. And yet in that, there are things that we can control. And one of those is our response to the situation, our response to the circumstance. And so I began a practice of gratitude. It was really, there was nothing altruistic about it. There was nothing saintly about it. I just, I felt so bad that I desperately needed to see God's goodness. And so I I knew in my head he was good. And I mean, I had sung those songs like we do in church. And I would agree with it. If somebody asked me, I would agree with this really, but I sure didn't feel good. And I didn't see it around me. And so I just began, like when I would get away every morning and do my Bible time, I would start with gratitude. Before I went to God to ask him for anything in prayer, I would write seven things that I was thankful for. And what it did, I did not expect the benefits. There's so many, the Bible talks about this, but several things it does. One is it just, the more we give God thanks, the more we see to give him thanks for. He just opens our eyes to see him at work. It helps us connect the dots so that when we've prayed for something or asked for something, we begin to connect the dots as we pause and look back over the day to thank him. It helps us to see the beauty in the ordinary. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be like some huge thing, just the small ways that God cares for us so personally and so practically. They're like little love notes. And so that practice of gratitude was just, it's never one and done. But it was a continual perspective shift for me to see that God was still good. His goodness had not started and stopped. And that even though I felt bad, that I, that if I would trust God, I would see as much goodness on this side of Dan's death as I did on that side. There's a scripture that tells us to give thanks in all things. And I'm thinking there's someone listening who is saying, glad that works for you, but how am I supposed to give thanks in the terrible place where I am right now? Well, I asked that question as well. And giving thanks is never just slapping a Band-Aid on it and moving on because God who designed us designed our emotions and he understands the raw pain, even the anger, the, the loneliness, the anxiety, the regret, all of that, those hard emotions that bubble up in grief. He never pushes that away and just expects us to, to thank him. And that verse says to thank that we are to give thanks to God in all things, for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus, not give thanks for all things. And I think that's a huge difference. I don't have to go to God and say, thank you for taking my husband at 46 years old, you know, when we had a four-year-old and six-year-old and these children. But I can say in every circumstance, no matter what happens, and this is such a safeguard for us walking into the future, no matter what happens in my circumstance, there are always things I can thank you for. I really like that perspective of it takes the focus from that dark, broken place 
and puts the focus on, as you said, the different blessings around us. So it is an obedience. And so many times we read something that God wants us to do, and it seems so hard and pointless. And yet, as we obey, we realize this was really for my good. He wasn't being mean or ridiculous. He was saying, this is for your good. And so as you described, making those lists of what this is what I'm thankful for today, how it changes our perspective. Another emotion that I know has to um, be fought, especially I think for a single mom so suddenly is fear. How did you deal with the fear of, I mean, now you're raising seven children by yourself, you're alone. And as you said, you it sounds like you hardly did anything alone from the time you were 15 or 16, from the time you met Dan. So tell us a little bit about dealing with fear. Fear is so wrapped up in loss. And I, I never would have known that until I walked through it. But in any kind of loss, we can fear, just like you said, I mean, when something bad happens, we now know that those far off things that we feared, well, they can actually happen in real life. And so there, you know, it depends on your circumstances uh, of what kind of fear you're walking through. For me, I was walking through, I had a lot of fear for my children. I didn't know how I was going to raise these teen and tween boys without their six foot three dad. And I didn't know how they would respond. I didn't know if they would act out in grief. I had seen that in some other families. And if I was going to be able to single parent them through this, I had a lot of fear for our finances. We were a one income family. And while, again, I knew God's promise that he would take care of us, there was a very real practical problem of, yeah, but we just lost the only income that we had. And Dan had done some things to take care of us afterward. And that, that was a good safety net. But there were other fears as well, fears for the health of my kids, fears for just uh, so many things. And so I realized that this fear was paralyzing me, that I wasn't able, I was never going to be able to move forward because it was literally paralyzing me from making decisions. I was parenting out of fear and I had to do something about it. And a dear friend of mine, we were speaking, we were talking over coffee and she's also walked a hard path. She has a chronic um, health diagnosis, MS. And she said, and I told her, I said, you know, I'm just so scared. And she said, oh, I know this one. <laughs> she piped up and she said, she gave me the verse in, in Second Corinthians. It says that we are to take all of our thoughts captive to the Lord, take all of our thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. And so that began a, a practice for me, a very intentional practice that when a fear would come up, I would identify the lie because our fears are always driven by lies. Take, for instance, my fear of, of income. God has said that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And um, that doesn't change because the method that he was using changed. For a while, we were a two-income family and God provided. For a while, we were a one-income family and, Dan, and God provided through Dan's income. That promise held and we would see if we would trust God how he would provide in ways that we never could imagine. And that sitting on this side years out from loss now, I can see that that's true. But I had to take that fear captive. I had to identify the lie, take the fear captive, claim the promise. And I had to do it over and over and over. But the more I did it, the easier it became. And the less fear was just becoming such a dominant emotion for me. There's so much of a, a discipline of grace. 
I mean, God sets the table and he invites us to come and to taste and see that he is good. But it's us taking those steps of obedience that where we discover, yes, he is good. He's sovereign and we can trust him. And I like you saying that I have to do it over and over again, because I think we live in a quick fix culture, society that expects that, that miracle. The other thing that you mentioned is how in the places of great need, you saw the great blessings of God providing. And I know for our, our own personal journey, it's the, when you're in the greatest need, it seems as though you see those remarkable provisions that as you are able to provide yourself, that those provisions are not necessary anymore. So it's an exciting place of faith to watch as God provides. And so you were a lawyer at one time, but now are you a lawyer again? I am not. I had actually, three years after Dan's death, I thought, okay, Lisa, time to, you know, dust off that shingle and provide for your family long-term. And I knew we were okay in the short term. And as I did that, God just really wrestled with God. God began speaking to me about writing. I thought, well, okay, I'll write and do law because I know how to do law. And, you know, if you've ever wrestled with God with when he is taking you one direction and you're thinking it's another direction, you cannot, you know, you cannot wrestle long. And so one, one day I just laid down on the, I had actually hired my older daughter to be me in the house for a while because I had let my license go. I had retired actually. And so to go back into law, I had to actually take the bar exam again and re-up. So I was like, can, you know, I had hired her to be me in the house for like 15 hours a week and take care of the little ones while I studied. And I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. But man, that night, God just got to me and I laid down on my floor, on my carpet and said, this does not feel reasonable to me, but I know you are calling me here and I will trust you. And it felt like I was walking on thin air, that that God would call me to write long-term and to minister instead of doing what I knew to do could, could provide for my family. But God has been so faithful and, you know... It's such a joy to be able to reach back to other women who are hurting in all different ways and to walk with them in their pain and to minister to them, to teach the word. It's just such a joy. Tell us a little bit more about that. How can listeners reach you, uh, your website, and you talk about writing, what kind of writing are you doing and and how are you having that intimacy with people who are hurting? I write at lisaapolo.com. So that's the best place to find me there. And it's two Ps, one L. Um, I also started another, another sister site with a team of contributors who write on all kinds of grief. So that's called hopeingrief.com. And you can find that from my site as well. But that talks about, you know, I wanted other people who could talk about child loss, who could talk about miscarriage, who could talk about losing a a parent early in life, who could talk about being a um, caregiver, chronic health diagnoses. There's just so many ways that we can grieve in life. We we kind of, as a culture, have tended to box grief into this like short period of time that occurs after a loved one dies. But there's so much grief. And I think being able to name that, you know, if you lose a job, if you step away from a something that you've been involved in for a while, if you move, if you have an adult relationship that goes really sour and is broken, being able to name that and call that grief is just um, is just so healthy, so that we understand the emotions that come with it and the healing that we need to do to move through it. 
So I write at lisaablo.com. I have this book coming out called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And then I, I'm a Bible teacher, so we just switched churches. I hope to start teaching again there. But I uh, minister to widows online in a Facebook group, and um, I minister to widows locally. So if someone, uh, a widow, is really longing for someone to come alongside of her, she can contact you through your website. Yes, absolutely. She could contact me there. You can get my email. Um, She could reach out on Instagram to me, and I would love to connect with her. And I'll have all this information in the show notes at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, and also a link to Lisa's new book. I'm so excited that that's going to be available soon. As we wrap up, Lisa, I'm thinking of the person who is listening, who is hearing your story of God's faithfulness. She longs for the same kind of grace that you have experienced, but she doesn't have a clue as to how to even begin the pursuit of that kind of contentment in her own personal loss. Can you just speak to her in the last couple of minutes we have? That contentment is not something that we can drum up ourselves. We cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, our culture says, you got this girl, but we don't got this. And we, the, the only way through deep loss, deep tragedy or difficulty is to turn to God and pour out to him our hard questions and our hard emotions. The Bible calls it lament. And we see this all in the Psalms where David would over and over and all, boy, did he know difficulty, right? And so over and over, he would come to God. And he would say, are you, you know, how long O Lord? Why have you turned your face from me? Or my bones are drying up. I am in such pain and agony. He would pour out this emotion to God. But as he did that, we see him turn. And always in those Psalms, he would say, but I trust you. And I think that is the key. We hold both hands open. And in one hand, we say, here is all my pain and all of my questions and the life that I wanted and the way that I, I wished that things had been. And I'm going to lay that down here before you. But in the other hand, I trust you. And we do that over and over and over. And staying in the word, letting God minister to us through his, through his promises, through his character that we see in the word. Over and over, we do that. And we see that the trust becomes bigger, that the contentment follows that practice. That the joy comes not like after we feel better, but right in the midst of the pain. And that God's hand is all on. It's just like like we talked about earlier, that God's goodness has not started and stopped. And one of the things that was a huge revelation to me was that this was not plan B. This might have been unexpected for me, but this, God knew this all along. He was not, you know, he had not missed something. He had not turned his head away for a minute. This was God's intentional chapter two for me. And as such, there's as much abundance and as much joy here as there was before. And I just needed to live into it. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today for the Help and Hope podcast. Our vision for this podcast is to offer help and hope, the help and hope of Jesus, especially to those who are hurting. And you have definitely satisfied that vision today. We are so grateful for you and for the message that you have 
You can learn more about Lisa. Uh, go to markinc.org where we will have a link to her website and to her new book coming out, Life Can Be Good Again. And I love hearing her story of God's faithfulness in her life and to her children because it is a story that we can tell over and over and over again in the lives of people broken by this world. We live in a broken world and we do not know what the next moment is going to hold, but we do know that God is sovereign and we can trust him. I'm Sharon Betters, the co-host of the Help and Hope podcast. Again, go to markinc.org where you can find lots more stories like Lisa's that share the help and hope of the gospel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.